Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. We, as a church staff, have been thinking and dreaming about this specific sermon series for well over a year. And back in the spring, we did a sermon series called For Such a Time as This. And really, that could apply to this series as well. We are convinced that through Jesus, his church can be a transformative presence and community in an extremely divided nation. We're convinced that love is better than fear. And so we can't wait for these next six weeks as we travel through this Jesus for President sermon series together. And throughout this series, we're going to be addressing lots of issues from lots of different angles. And we're not able to address everything exhaustively each Sunday. Uh, And so we encourage you to stick with us as we build upon a Jesus politic um, and make it ever more clear each following week. Also, our town halls, I think, are really an incredible way to wrestle through our teaching and to ask questions. So join us on Zoom, 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, You can find the Zoom link on our app and also on our website. Now, before uh, we dive in, I am deeply indebted to several pastors and authors and theologians for shepherding me as I wrestled through these issues personally. Um, There's too many to mention, but Eugene Cho, uh, David Fitch, Bruxy Cavey, um, Andy Stanley, Greg Boyd, uh, Lee Camp, and several that I know that I have forgotten, they have been instrumental in helping put words to this sermon series. Now, do me a favor. Can you go back to November 2016? For some of you, you can't wait to leave 2020, so you're back four years already, okay? November 2016, it's the Sunday after the election. And for every church that was filled with primarily Republican voters, they they were singing. They were high-fiving, they were amening, and they enjoyed that Sunday. And the churches that were filled primarily with non-Republicans, maybe Democrats, they, they probably didn't even have music that Sunday, okay? Just grieving, fasting, weeping, putting on ash and sackcloth. See, Christians on both sides of the aisle experiencing a political process in very different ways. And let me be clear, uh, throughout the series, I'm not going to be telling you who to vote for, and I'm not going to be telling you which party more closely aligns with the teachings of Jesus, though that will be a topic in a few weeks. Uh, Let me say this, Prodigal Church is a church of conservative Republicans. And Prodigal Church is a church of liberal Democrats. If you're looking for a church where everybody is is the same, uh, you're in the wrong church. And if you're looking for a church where everybody agrees politically, you're in the wrong church. And I hope that you never ever attend a church like that because we as the body of Christ have an unprecedented opportunity uh, to show our nation, our community, our world, what it looks like to disagree politically and love unconditionally. And it's hard to love people different than you if you don't know anybody different than you. When I was 15 years old, I was asked to be part of a youth group drama team at church. And I didn't know anything about Christianity And I certainly didn't know anything about drama, but um, I loved being on stage and having people look at me, okay? Uh, Imagine that. 
I remember meeting in the backyard of a youth leader's house with about six or seven other high school students. And at the end of the night, we were all in a circle and the youth leader said, does anybody have any prayer requests? And prayer requests is this where people kind of share some things that maybe that others can be praying for them about. And so for me, it was a brand new concept and tons of questions flooded my 15 year old brain. What should I say? What's a good prayer request? Is this a safe place? Now, I don't remember what I said that night, uh, but I do know that when Jesus walked the earth as an itinerant rabbi with a small band of disciples, Jesus had a prayer request. Would you like to know the prayer request of Jesus? Would you like to know what the Son of God prayed for? It's found in John 17, and this is where we're going to be camping out today. Uh, it says this in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The prayer request of Jesus is that we would be one. At the very end of his life, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was the unity and oneness of his people. And this prayer is it's so convicting to me on so many different levels. And my hunch is that virtually none of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus actually pray for the things that Jesus prayed for. We pray for all kinds of other things, but we're not praying for unity in the body of Christ. But maybe if the church, maybe if people like me have been begging God for this, had been leading towards this, had been pleading towards this, that the world would be a different place and it would be a better place. Do you know why Jesus prayed for oneness? This is the real shocker. The reason he prayed for oneness doesn't really even have to do with us. He prayed for oneness because of what he wanted to do through us. Look at what he says. He says, the reason I want them to be one is so that the world, not, not the people in the church, the people outside the church, the people outside the faith, the people who roll their eyes when they drive by a church, so that when they see the unity in spite of the diversity, when they see that, they may actually come to the conclusion and they may believe that God has sent him. The way the world's going to sit up and take notice of the beautiful, diverse thing that we call the local church is when the church works together in unity, even though we disagree. Even though we've been raised in such different ways that we'll never see the world the same way. We'll never view politics the same way. And yet at the same time, there's this beautiful, magical, unusual unity in the body of Christ. Jesus says, I'm telling you, this is the way forward. This is what's going to get the attention of the empire. There's never been anything like it. So Jesus prays for unity. He prays for oneness. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, powerful prayer. But what are we going to do about it? How do we do this? How do we accomplish this? I can't even agree with Sarah on lots of issues, let alone how can the global body of Christ come together and agree with one another and move forward together in unity? Well, before this famous prayer request, 
Jesus and his disciples are eating the Passover supper. And Jesus is instructing his disciples and giving them the how. This is how you become united. He says this in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It is by this unique brand of love that people will know that we're Christians. It is by this unique brand of new covenant love that everyone's gonna know that you, we are his disciple. If you love one another, it, this is a, a community thing, right? This is a two-way thing, it's a family thing. All of us are in this together, but not just loving one another in any way that we want to, we take our cues from Jesus. We are to love like Jesus loved. And that's how your coworkers will know that you love God, because you love like Jesus. That's how your neighbors will know that you love God, because you love like Jesus. It's not from the t-shirts that you wear. It's not from the bumper stickers on the back of your car. It's not from the church that you go to. Jesus tells us that the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love. How are we doing with that? Here's what I'm trying to say. Your candidate, your political candidate for president will win or lose based on how the American people vote on a Tuesday in November. But the church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. Let me say it again. Your political candidate, whoever you want to win for president, and I hope that you do vote, but your candidate will win or lose based on how the American people vote on the first Tuesday in November, but the church will win or lose based on how you behave today and every day since. The church wins or loses, the community wins or loses. In some ways, our nation wins or loses by how we treat each other and love each other and every day between now and then. We must not allow anything to divide us. We must not allow anyone to divide us. This is what Jesus was praying for, for such a time as this. We cannot be divided. We dare not be divided, especially over political issues, especially over candidates that come and go, especially over political parties and platforms that come and go. They change. And so it's incumbent upon us to figure out how to be one as Jesus and the Father are one in spite of our political differences. We have to put Jesus over party. We have to put Jesus over politics. That means... It's more important to love others than to win that Facebook debate. This affects too many of us, right? Sean Hannity is not your spiritual leader. Rachel Maddow is not your wise counsel. Do we want God or do we want God to validate what we already think and believe? Because you can't have both. Do you want God or do you want your preconceived notions of God? Because God is always pushing us towards loving our enemy, not hating them. And there is way too much hate in this world. But if we rally around our true king's message, the message of God's love, we can shine light amidst any darkness. Let's unite around that platform. Love God, love people. Come on. Why would we allow any political view, a view that you might outgrow, a view that you might abandon. Isn't it true that every 10 or 15 years, we change, we grow? Things that were our previous convictions, now uh, it's different. Things that we were so passionate about before, now we're not so passionate about. 
our views change. Why would we run the risk? Why would we allow any strongly held or not so strongly held political belief to divide us from a living and breathing you? Why would we do that? When Jesus' single command was, look, believe what you want to believe. Vote who you're going to vote for. But don't you dare mistreat someone made in my image. We are literally hating people because they think like and listen to Tucker Carlson. We are literally hating people who take a knee and say Black Lives Matter. We should be fighting for unity. We should be fighting with the sacrificial love that our king demonstrated and prayed for. It was unity that got the attention of the pagan world and changed human history. It was the unity of the church. But right now, the people of God hardly look like the kingdom people charged by their king to love relentlessly, right? In love's place, we are fragmented, divided, polarized, and confused. Our politics are characterized by tribalism, people shouting back and forth and over one another. No listening, no understanding, no empathy. Pick a side. Choose if you're a demon or if you're an angel. In this political climate, we that we're in leads some Christians to either avoid politics or some Christians to obsess over politics. So if you try to avoid politics altogether, what happens is you end up ignoring important issues in life, simply dismissing them as political. Issues like race or immigration or poverty, these were biblical issues before they were political issues. And so if you just say, well, I don't wanna deal with that because that's politics, well, then you're, just, you're not just dismissing an idea or an issue, but a person made in the image of God. And as Christians, we can't do that. We need to be careful when we say, I'm just going to avoid politics, that we're not denying people, denying their very dignity and their very rights. That's not Christ-like. So while some try to avoid politics, other people go the other direction and then they begin to obsess over politics, right? We've all got that friend, right? And if you can't think of that friend who obsesses over politics, it's you. That's okay, you can be honest. Anything that happens that's wrong, it's, it's the other party's fault. If you're conservative, it's never a Republican's fault. If you're liberal, it's never a Democrat's fault. You've got CNN or Fox News on 24 seven, you post 17 times a day and every post on Facebook is political. Here's an idea, maybe post a picture of your kids every once in a while instead of that internet meme that confirms what you already believe. The problem is that politics is an important part of life, but it isn't the only thing in life. Even in election season, there is more to life than the politics of the United States. And the danger is that many Christians have been hijacked by a political party without even knowing it to where you obsess so much over it, your allegiance is more to your party than it is to your savior. If you are more at home with your political party than you are with your church family, then you need to reorder your priorities and your loyalties. We've all seen these polar opposites, avoiding politics or obsessing over politics. What we need is not a privatized faith or a politicized faith, but a holistic faith that acknowledges 
that politics is important, but not ultimate. Politics are important, not ultimate. And let me close with this. I know some of you are thinking. Okay. I appreciate that cool sermon, but come on, John, you got to say things like this, right? You're, you're the pastor. Um, you're just doing your job, but aren't you being a little too simplistic? That's not the world we live in. Aren't you being a little bit naive? To which I would say something like, no. Let me give you an example of what naive is. Naive is this, a first century Jewish rabbi from nowhere, as far away from political power as possible in some podunk town in Galilee, in the hot Syrian sun, surrounded by 12 guys who are younger than he is. They've got no political clout, not a penny to their name, no gold, no chariots. They don't have anything going for them. And this first century rabbi says, hey guys, this, this is how I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna build my movement, I'm gonna build my kingdom, and I'm gonna build my church in a way to where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that's naive. They look around going, us? You're gonna do this through us? And Jesus is like, I'm going to start a movement. You guys are going to be a part of it. Neither Rome, nor temple, nor nation, nor culture, nor political party will ever stand against it. This is what we're a part of. This is the kind of movement we're a part of. Our loyalty is to that king. What we are a part of is much bigger than America. So why in the world would we opt for something less than that? Why would we allow something less than that to divide us? Throughout the short history of our nation, both political parties have let us down. They've gotten it wrong. Both political parties ha have had leaders who have failed us morally and failed us in terms of their leadership. We've had some great leaders and we've had some not so great leaders, but this is what we forget. During our oh so short history as a nation, several of the political parties that have been influential have just disappeared. Okay, they're no longer around. Is there anybody watching us online right now that's a part of the Whig party? No, no. How about the Federalists? Are there any Federalists watching this weekend? No, those parties have disappeared. So here's what we forget. We're so short-sighted. There were entire political parties that now were, they, they were so adamant about certain things and now they just completely disappeared. So here's the question. Here's the ramifications. Why would we as followers of an eternal king allow ourselves to be divided by temporary political systems and temporary political leaders and temporary political platforms? Why would we allow them to divide us? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? And here's the most embarrassing thing to me. Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? Jesus' most oft-repeated command was fear not. Fear not. The Bible says in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. We should be about that. So disagree politically. Love unconditionally. So disagree politically. Pray for unity. And no matter who you vote for on the first Tuesday of November, vote for Jesus by how you live and by how you love. Let's pray. God, in the middle of this season, we pray that you would shape our hearts 
and grow our hearts to include even our enemies. That we would be able to take a long, hard look in the mirror at ourselves and that we would, at the end of this season, be able to better reflect your image. We need you in this. We pray for healing, we pray for clarity, and we pray for great love. In Jesus' name, amen.